Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that on the Apple Podcasts. Copy and paste that on the Good Pods. Donate at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Then go ahead and donate again at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. And then while you're leaving that review on uh, Good Pods, go ahead and put something in the tip jar too. Chapter 25. There was a doctor in the town of Green Lake 110 years ago. His name was Dr. Hawthorne. And whenever people got sick, they would go to see Doc Hawthorne. But they would also see Sam, the onion man. Onions, sweet, fresh onions, Sam would call as he and his donkey, Mary Lou, walked up and down the dirt road to Green Lake. Mary Lou pulled a cart full of onions. I just want to let y'all know, since this is a children's book, I am literally suppressing like 29 jokes about my wife and her onions. But they're sweet. Dang it. Sam's onion field was somewhere on the other side of the lake. Once or twice a week, he would tow across the lake and pick a new batch to fill the cart. Sam had big, strong arms, but it would still take all day for him to row across the lake and another day for him to return. Most of the time, he would leave Mary Lou in a shed, which the walkers let him use in no charge. But sometimes, he would take Mary Lou on his boat with him. Sam claimed that Mary Lou was almost 50 years old which was, and still is, extraordinarily old for a donkey. She eats nothing but raw onions, Sam would say, holding up a white onion between his dark fingers. It's nature's magic vegetable. If a person ate nothing but raw onions, he could live to be 200 years old. Sam wasn't too much older than 20, so no one was quite sure how old Mary Lou was. How would he know? Still, No one ever argued with Sam, and whenever they were sick, they would go not only to Doc Hawthorne, but also to Sam. Sam always gave the same advice, eat plenty of onions. He said the onions were good for the digestion, the liver, the lungs, the stomach, the heart, and the brain. If you don't believe me, just look at old Mary Lou here. She's never been sick a day in her life. He also had many different ointments, lotions, syrups, and paste all made out of onion juice and different parts of the onion plant. This one cured asthma. That one's for warts and pimples. Another was a remedy for arthritis. He even had a special ointment which he claimed would cure baldness. Just rub it on your husband's head every night while he's sleeping, Miss Collingwood, and soon his hair will be as thick and as long as Mary Lou's tail. Doc Hawthorne didn't resent Sam. The folks at Green Lake were afraid to take chances. They would get regular medicine from Doc Hawthorne and onion concoctions from Sam. After they got over their illness, no one could be sure, not even Doc Hawthorne, which of the two treatments had done the trick. Doc Hawthorne was almost completely bald, and in the morning, his head often smelled like onions. Whenever Catherine Barlow bought onions, she always bought an extra one or two and would let Mary Lou eat them out of her hand. Is something wrong? Sam asked her one day while she was feeding Mary Lou. You seem distracted. Oh, just the weather, said Miss Catherine. 
It looks like rain clouds moving in. Me and Mary Lou, we like the rain, said Sam. Oh, I like it fine, said Miss Catherine, as she rubbed the donkey's rough hair on top of its head. It's just that the roof leaks in the schoolhouse. I can fix that, said Sam. What are you going to do, Catherine joked. Fill the holes with onion paste? Sam laughed. I'm good with my hands, he told her. I built my own boat. If it leaked, I'd be in big trouble. Catherine couldn't help but notice his strong, firm hands. They made a deal. He agreed to fix a leaky roof in exchange for six jars of spiced peaches. It took Sam a week to fix the roof, because he could only work in the afternoons, after school let out, and before night classes began. Sam wasn't allowed to attend classes because he was a Negro, but they let him fix the building. Miss Catherine usually stayed in the schoolhouse, grading papers and such, while Sam worked on the roof. She enjoyed what little conversation they were able to have, shouting up and down to one another. She was surprised by his interest in poetry. When he took a break, she would sometimes read a poem to him. On more than one occasion, she would start to read a poem by Poe or Longfellow just to hear him finish it for her from memory. She was sad when the roof was finished. Is something wrong? he asked. No, you did a wonderful job, she said. It's just that the windows won't open. The children and I would enjoy a breeze now and then. I can fix that, said Sam. She gave him two more jars of peaches and Sam fixed the windows. It was easier to talk to him when he was working on the windows. He told her about his secret onion field on the other side of the lake, where the onions grow all year round and the water runs uphill. When the windows were fixed, she complained that her desk wobbled. I can fix that, said Sam. The next time she saw him, she mentioned that the door doesn't hang straight, and she got to spend another afternoon with him while he fixed the door. By the end of the first semester, Onion Sam had turned their old run-down schoolhouse into a well-crafted, freshly painted jewel of a building to have the whole town proud. People passing by would stop and admire it. That's our schoolhouse. It shows how much we value education here in Green Lake. The only person who wasn't happy with it was Miss Catherine. She had run out of things needing to be fixed. She sat at her desk one afternoon, listening to the pitter-patter of the rain on the roof. No water leaked in the classroom, except for the few drops that came from her eyes. Onions! Hot, sweet onions! Sam called out on the street. She ran to him. She wanted to throw her arms around him, but couldn't bring herself to do it. Instead, she hugged Mary Lou's neck. Is something wrong? He asked her. Oh, Sam, she said. My heart is breaking. I can fix that, said Sam. She turned to him. He took hold of both of her hands and kissed her. Because of the rain, there was no one else out on the street. Even if there was, Catherine and Sam wouldn't have noticed. They were lost in her own world. At that moment, however, Hattie Parker stepped out of the general store. They didn't see her, but she saw them. She pointed her quivering finger in their direction and whispered, God will punish you.
short story real quick. Somebody on Twitter asked, what do people think is in the Bible that actually is not in the Bible in any way, shape or form? One person said homophobia and they're right. Another person, though, that person said 95% of Christianity and that's when I fell out. Y'all go ahead and think on that for a moment. Chapter 26. There was no telephones, but word spread quickly all through a small town. By the end of the day, everyone in Green Lake had heard that the school teacher had kissed the onion picker. Not one child showed up for school the next morning. Miss Catherine sat alone in the classroom and wondered if she had lost track of the day of the week. Perhaps it was Saturday. It wouldn't have surprised her. Her brain and heart had been spinning ever since Sam kissed her. She heard a noise outside the door, and suddenly a mob of men and women came storming into the school building. They were led by Trout Walker. There she is, Trout shouted. The devil woman. The mob was turning over desks and ripping down bulletin boards. She's been poisoning your children's brains with books, Trout declared. They began piling all the books in the center of the room. Think about what you're doing, cried Miss Catherine. Someone made a grab for her, tearing her dress, but she managed to get out of the building. She ran to the sheriff's office. The sheriff had his feet up on the desk and was drinking from a bottle of whiskey. Morning, Miss Catherine, he said. They're destroying the schoolhouse, she said, gasping for breath. They'll burn it to the ground if someone doesn't stop them. Just calm your pretty self down a second, the sheriff said in a slow drawl, and tell me what you're talking about. He got up from his desk and walked over to her. Trout Walker has. Now don't go saying nothing bad about Charles Walker, said the sheriff. We don't have much time, urged Catherine. You got to stop them. You're sure pretty, said the sheriff. Miss Catherine stared at him in horror. Kiss me said the sheriff. She slapped him across the face. He laughed. You kissed the onion picker. Why won't you kiss me? She tried to slap him again, but he caught her by the hand. She tried to wriggle free. You're drunk, she yelled. I always get drunk before I hanging. A hanging? Who... It's against the law for a Negro to kiss a white woman. Well, then you'll have to hang me too, said Catherine, because I kissed him back. It ain't against the law for you to kiss him, the sheriff explained. Just for him to kiss you. We're all equal under the eyes of God, she declared. The sheriff laughed. If Sam and I are equal, why won't you kiss me? He laughed again. I'll make you a deal. One sweet kiss, and I won't hang your boyfriend. I'll just run him out of town. Miss Catherine jerked her hand free. As she hurried to the door, she heard the sheriff say, The law will punish Sam, and God will punish you. She stepped back into the street and saw smoke rising from the schoolhouse. 
She ran down to the lakefront, where Sam was hitching Mary Lou to the onion cart. Thank God I found you, she sighed, hugging him. We gotta get out of here. Now. What? Someone must have seen us kissing yesterday, she said. They set fire to the schoolhouse. The sheriff said he's going to hang you. Sam hesitated for a moment, as if he couldn't quite believe it. He didn't want to believe it. Come on, Mary Lou. We have to leave Mary Lou behind, said Catherine. Sam stared at her a moment. There were tears in his eyes. Okay. Sam's boat was in the water, tied to a tree by a long rope. He untied it, and they waded through the water and climbed aboard. His powerful arms rowed them away from the shore. But his powerful arms were no match for Trout Walker's motorized boat. They were little more than halfway across the lake when Miss Catherine heard the loud roar of the engine. Then she saw the ugly black smoke. These are the facts. The Walker boat smashed into Sam's boat. Sam was shot and killed in the water. Catherine Barlow was rescued against her wishes. When they returned to the shore, she saw Mary Lou's body lying on the ground. The donkey had been shot in the head. That all happened 110 years ago. Since then, not one drop of rain has fallen on Green Lake. You make the decision. Who did God punish? This is me jumping in real quick. There's reasons why I love Louis Sacker. There's reasons why I love Jerry Spinelli. And one of the reasons because at a very young age when all the other folks that I knew who were white were writing books that spoke to white people and about white people, these two, one in the past, one in the present for that time, wrote a book talking about racism in a way that reached Every kid in some way, shape, or form. If you wonder why you're so aghast at racism now. It might be because you read this book or had this book read to you as a kid and it sunk in. The injustice of what happened. And you might have had a good teacher who after they read that part calmly and with a lot of thought talked to you about how white folks treated black folks back in those days and even now. It's just a thought. Three days after Sam's death, Miss Catherine shot the sheriff while he was sitting in his chair drinking a cup of coffee. Then she carefully applied a fresh coat of red lipstick and gave him the kiss he had been asking for. For the next 20 years, kissing Kate Barlow was one of the most feared outlaws in all the West. Chapter 27 Stanley dug his shovel into the ground. His hole was about three and a half feet deep in the center. He grunted as he pried up some dirt, then flung it off to the side. The sun was almost directly overhead. He glanced at his canteen lying beside his hole. He knew it was half full, but he didn't take a drink just yet. He had to drink sparingly, because he didn't know who would be driving the water truck the next time it came. Three days had passed since the warden had scratched Mr. Sir. Every time Mr. Sir delivered water, he poured Stanley straight onto the ground. Fortunately, 
Mr. Pendansky delivered the water more often to Mr. Sir. Mr. Pendansky was obviously aware of what Mr. Sir was doing, because he always gave Stanley a little extra. He'd fill Stanley's canteen, then let Stanley take a long drink, then top it off for him. It helped, too, that Zero was digging some of Stanley's hole for him. Although, as Stanley had expected, the other boys didn't like to see Stanley sitting around while they were working. They say things like, Who died and made you king? Or, It must be nice to have your own personal slave. When he tried pointing out that he was the one who took the blame for the sunflower seeds, the other boy said that it was his fault because he was the one who spilled them. I risked my life for those seeds, Magnet said, and all I got was one lousy handful. Stanley had also tried to explain that he needed to save his energy so he could teach Zero how to read, but the other boys just mocked him. Same old story, ain't it, Ormpit? X-Ray had said. The white boy sits around while the black boy does all the work. Ain't that right, caveman? No. That's not right, Stanley replied. No, it ain't, X-Ray agreed. It ain't right at all. Stanley dug out another shovel full of dirt. He knew X-Ray wouldn't have been talking like that if he was one teaching Zero how to read. Then X-Ray would be talking about how important it was that he got his rest, right? So he could be a better teacher, right? And that was true. He did need to save his strength so he could be a better teacher, although Zero was a quick learner. Sometimes, in fact, Stanley hoped the warden was watching him with their secret cameras and microphones, so she noticed Zero wasn't as stupid as everyone thought. From across the lake, he could see the approaching dust cloud. He took a drink from his canteen, then waited to see who was driving the truck. The swelling on Mr. Sir's face had gone down, but it was still a little puffy. There had been three scratch marks down his cheek. Two of the marks had faded, but the middle scratch must have been the deepest, because it still remained. It was a jagged purple line running from below his eye to below his mouth, like a tattoo of a scar. Stanley waited in line, then handed him his canteen. Mr. Sir held it to his ear and shook it. He smiled at the swishing sound. Stanley hoped he wouldn't dump it out. To a surprise, Mr. Sir held the canteen under the stream of water and filled it. Wait here, he said. Still holding Stanley's canteen, Mr. Sir walked past him, then went around the side of the truck and into the cab, where he couldn't be seen. What's he doing in there? asked Zero. I wish I knew, said Stanley. A short while later, Mr. Sir came out of the truck and handed Stanley his canteen. It was still full. Thank you, Mr. Sir. Mr. Sir smiled at him. What are you waiting for? he asked. Drink up. He popped some sunflower seeds into his mouth, chewed and spit out the shells. Stanley was afraid to drink it. He hated to think of what kind of vile substance Mr. Sir might have put in it. He brought the canteen back to his hole. For a long time, he left it beside his hole as he continued to dig. Then, when he was so thirsty he could hardly stand it anymore, he unscrewed the cap, 
turned the canteen over and poured it all out onto the dirt. He was afraid that if he had waited another second, he might have taken a drink. After Stanley taught Zero the final six letters of the alphabet, he taught him how to write his name. Capital Z-E-R-O. Zero wrote the letters as Stanley said them. Zero, he said, looking at his piece of paper. His smile was too big for his face. Stanley watched him write it over and over again. Zero, 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 zero. In a way, it made him sad. He couldn't help but to think that a hundred times zero was still nothing. You know, that's not my real name, Zero said as they headed to the rec room for dinner. Well, yeah, Stanley said. I guess I knew that. He had never really been sure. Everyone's always called me Zero, even before I came here. Oh, okay. My real name is Hector. Hector, Stanley repeated. Hector Zeroni. Chapter 28 After 20 years, Kate Barlow returned to Green Lake. It was a place where no one would ever find her. A ghost town on a ghost lake. The peach trees had all died. But there were a couple of small oak trees still growing by an old abandoned cabin. The cabin used to be on the eastern shore of the lake. Now the edge of the lake was over five miles away. And it was little more than a small pond full of dirty water. She lived in the cabin. Sometimes she could hear Sam's voice echoing across the emptiness. Onions. Sweet, fresh onions. She knew she was crazy. She knew she'd been crazy for the last 20 years. Oh, Sam, she would say, speaking into the vast emptiness. I know it's hot, but I feel so very cold. My hands are cold. My feet are cold. My face is cold. And my heart is cold. And sometimes, she would hear him say, I can fix that. And she'd feel his warm arm across her shoulders. She had been living in the cabin about three months when she was awakened one morning by someone kicking open the cabin door. She opened her eyes to see the blurry end of a rifle, two inches from her nose. She could smell Trout Walker's dirty feet. You've got exactly ten seconds to tell me where you've hidden your loot, said Trout. Or else I'll blow your head off. She yawned. A red-headed woman was there with Trout. Kate could see her rummaging through the cabin, dumping drawers and knocking things from the shelves of cabinets. The woman came to her. Where is it? she demanded. Linda Miller? asked Kate. Is that you? Linda Miller had been in the fourth grade when Kate Barlow was still a teacher. She had been a cute freckle-faced girl with beautiful red hair. Now her face was blotchy, and her hair was dirty and scraggly. It's Linda Walker now, said Trout. Oh, Linda, I'm so sorry, said Kate. Trout jabbed her throat with the rifle. Where's the loot? There is no loot, said Kate. 
Don't give me that, shouted Trout. You've robbed every bank from here to Houston. You better tell him, said Linda. We're desperate. You married him for his money, didn't you? asked Kate. Linda nodded. But it's all gone. It dried up with the lake. The peach trees. The livestock. I kept thinking, it has to rain soon. The drought can't last forever. But it just kept getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Her eyes fixed on the shovel, which was leaning up against the fireplace. She buried it, she declared. I don't know what you're talking about, said Kate. There was a loud blast as Trout fired his rifle just above her head. The window behind her shattered. Where's it buried, he demanded. Go ahead and kill me, Trout, said Kate. But I sure hope you like to dig, because you're going to be digging for a long time. It's a big, vast wasteland out there. You and your children and their children can dig for the next hundred years and you'll never find it. Linda grabbed Kate's hair and jerked her head back. We're not going to kill you, she said. But by the time we're finished with you, you're going to wish you were dead. I've been wishing I was dead for the last 20 years, said Kate. They dragged her out of bed and pushed her outside. She wore blue silk pajamas. Her turquoise studded black boots remained beside her bed. They loosely tied her legs together so she could walk, but she couldn't run. They made her walk barefoot on the hot ground. They wouldn't let her stop walking. Not until you take us to the loot, said Trout. Linda hit Kate on the back of the legs with a shovel. You're going to take us to it sooner or later. So you might as well make it sooner. She walked one way, then the other, until her feet were black and blistered. Whenever she stopped, Linda whacked her with the shovel. I'm losing my patience, warned Trout. She felt the shovel jab into her back, and she fell on the hard dirt. Get up, ordered Linda. Kate struggled to her feet. We're being easy on you today, said Trout. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse for you until you take us to it. Look out, shouted Linda. A lizard leapt towards them. Kate could see its big red eyes. Linda tried to hit it with the shovel, and Trout shot at it, but they both missed. The lizard landed on Kate's bare ankle. Its sharp black teeth bit into her leg. Its white tongue lapped up the droplets of blood that leaked out of the wound. Kate smiled. There was nothing they could do to her anymore. Start digging, she said. Where is it? Linda screeched. Where'd you bury it? Trout demanded. Kate Barlow died laughing. Part 2 The Last Hole Chapter 29 There was a change in the weather. For the worse. The air became unbearably humid. Stanley was drenched in sweat. Beads of moisture ran down the handle of his shovel. It was almost as if the temperature had gotten so hot that the air itself was sweating. 
A loud boom of thunder echoed across the empty lake. A storm was way off to the west, beyond the mountains. Stanley could count more than 30 seconds between the flash of lightning and the clap of thunder. That was how far away the storm was. Sound travels a great distance across a barren wasteland. Usually, Stanley couldn't see the mountains at this time of day. The only time they were visible was just at sunup, before the air became hazy. Now, however, the sky was very dark off to the west, and every time the lightning flashed, the dark shape of the mountains would briefly appear. Come on, rain, shouted Armpit. Blow this way. Maybe it'll rain so hard it'll fill up a whole lake, said Squid. We can go swimming. Forty days and forty nights, said X-Ray. Guess we better start building us an ark. Get two of each animal, right? Right, said Zigzag. Two rattlesnakes. Two scorpions. Two yellow-spotted lizards. The humidity, or maybe the electricity in the air, had made Zigzag's head even more wild-looking. His frizzy blonde hair stuck almost straight out. The horizon lit up with a huge web of lightning. In that split second, Stanley thought he saw an unusual rock formation on top of one of the mountain peaks. The peak looked to him exactly like a giant fist, with the thumb sticking straight up. Then it was gone, and Stanley wasn't sure whether he had seen it or not. I found refuge on God's thumb. That was what his great-grandfather had supposedly said after Kate Barlow had robbed him and left him stranded in the desert. No one ever knew what he meant by that. He was delirious when he said it. But how could he live for three weeks without food or water? Stanley had asked his father. I don't know. I wasn't there, replied his father. I wasn't born yet. My father wasn't born yet. My grandmother, your great-grandmother, was a nurse in the hospital where they treated him. He'd always talked about how she'd dab his forehead with a cool, wet cloth. He said that's why he fell in love with her. He thought she was an angel. A real angel? His father didn't know. What about after he got better? Did he ever say what he meant by God's thumb? Or how he survived? No. He just blamed his no-good, pig-stealing father. The storm moved off farther west, along with any hope of rain. But the image of the fist and thumb remained in Stanley's head. Although, instead of lightning flashing behind the thumb, in Stanley's mind, the lightning was coming out of the thumb, as if it were the thumb of God. Chapter 30 The next day was Zigzag's birthday. Or so he said. Zigzag lay in his cot as everyone headed outside. I get to sleep in because it's my birthday. Then, a little while later, he cut into the breakfast line, just in front of Squid. Squid had told him to go to the end of the line. Hey, it's my birthday, Zigzag said, staying where he was. It's not your birthday, said Magnet, who was standing behind Squid. It is too, said Zigzag. July 8th. Stanley was behind Magnet. He didn't know what day of the week it was, let alone the date. It could have been July 8th, but how would Zigzag know? 
he tried to figure out how long he had been at Camp Green Lake. If indeed it was July 8th, I came here on May 24th, he said aloud. So that means I've been here 46 days, said Zero. Stanley was still trying to remember how many days there were in May and June. He looked at Zero. He had learned not to doubt him when it came to math. 46 days. It felt more like a thousand. He didn't dig a hole that first day, and he hadn't dug one yet today. That meant he had dug 44 holes, if it really was July 8th. Can I have an extra carton of juice? Zigzag asked Mr. Sir. It's my birthday. To everyone's surprise, Mr. Sir gave it to him. Stanley dug his shovel into the dirt. Hole number 45. The 45th hole is the hardest, he said to himself. But that really wasn't true, and he knew it. He was a lot stronger than when he first arrived. His body had adjusted somewhat to the heat and harsh conditions. Mr. Sir was no longer depriving him of water. After having to get by on less water for a week or so, Stanley now felt like he had all the water he could want. Of course, it helped that Zero dug some of his hole for him each day. But that wasn't as great as everyone thought it was. He always felt awkward while Zero was digging his hole. Unsure what to do with himself. Usually, he stood around a while, before sitting off by himself on the hard ground with the sun beating down on him. It was better than digging, but not a lot better. When the sun came up a couple hours later, Stanley looked for the thumb of God. The mountains were a little more than dark shadows on the horizon. He thought he could make out a spot where the top of one mountain seemed to jet upward, but it didn't seem very impressive. A short time later, the mountains were no longer visible, hidden behind the glare of the sun, reflecting off the dirty air. It was possible, he realized, that he was somewhere near Cape Barlow had robbed his great-grandfather. If that really was her lipstick tube he found, then she must have lived somewhere around here. Zero took his turn before the lunch break. Stanley climbed out of his hole, and Zero climbed down into it. Hey, caveman, said Zigzag. You should get a whip. Then, if your sleigh doesn't dig fast enough... You can crack it across his back. He's not my slave, said Stanley. We have a deal, that's all. A good deal for you, said Zigzag. It was Zero's idea, not mine. Don't you know, Zig, said X-Ray, coming over. Caveman's doing Zero a big favor. Zero likes to dig holes. He sure is a nice guy to let Zero dig his hole for him, said Squid. Well, what about me, said Armpit. I like to dig holes, too. Can I dig for you, caveman, after Zero's finished? The other boys laughed. No, I want to, said Zigzag. It's my birthday. Stanley tried his best to ignore them. Zigzag kept at it. Come on, caveman, be a pal. Let me dig your hole. Stanley smiled as if it was all a big joke. When Mr. Pendansky arrived with water and lunch, Zigzag offered Stanley his place in line. Since you're so much better than me, Stanley remained where he was. I didn't say I was bet. 
You're insulting him, Zig, said X-Ray. Why should K-Man take your place when he deserves to be at the very front? He's better than all of us. Aren't you, Caveman? No, said Stanley. Sure you are, said X-Ray. Now come up to the front of the line where you belong. That's okay, said Stanley. No, it's not okay, said X-Ray. Get up here. Stanley hesitated, then moved to the front of the line. Well, this is the first, Mr. Pendansky said, coming around the side of the truck. He filled Stanley's canteen and handed him a sack lunch. Stanley was glad to get away. He sat down between his hole and Zero's. He was glad that he'd be digging his own hole for the rest of the day. Maybe the other boys will leave him alone. Maybe he shouldn't let Zero dig his hole for him anymore. But he needed to save his energy to be a good teacher. This is me. Does he really... Does he really or has he convinced himself that he needs to because he's getting a benefit that he doesn't want to admit that he's getting? Sometimes everybody else can see something that you're getting that you refuse to admit benefits you. Or you try to say how it benefits both of y'all. And that's just annoying. But let me tell you. You can still teach. You can still read. Especially when he's learning so quickly. You can do maintenance after you dig your hole. I can see where the other boys are coming from. You're literally sitting back. You may not want to sit back because you think it's boring, but you're still sitting back while they're all working hard and they've been there for a year or so and you've been there for 46 days. And they're working to dig holes. And if the 46 days is the hardest day to you, then the, what, 360 whatever day that they're on has to be harder than anything in the world and they're watching you sit there and get your hole dug and yes they're going to be mad at you and there's nothing you can do to fix it because you don't recognize the problem you really believe that you're too tired to teach but you dug holes and you taught you dug holes and you wrote letters and I understand where your mindset is but your mindset is really just masking the fact that you don't want to dig and that's cool But don't play the others for a sucker. You told them what they needed to know. If they believe you, so be it. If not, okay. But you got to really sit back and think of your part in this. You're not at a summer camp. You're at a camp with kids who might hurt you because they might be jealous of what you're getting. You got to recognize the danger. And when they start talking openly like this, like the whole group is talking about you... Dude, you better start digging because a hole you dig might end up being your grave. He bit into a sandwich, which contained some kind of meat and cheese mixture that came in a can. Just about everything at Green Lake came in a can. The supply truck came once a month. He glanced up to see Zigzag and Squid walking towards him. I'll give you my cookie for let me dig your hole said Zigzag. Squid laughed. Here, take my cookie, said Zigzag, holding it out for him. No thanks, said Stanley. Come on, take my cookie, said Zigzag, sticking it in his face. Leave me alone, said Stanley. Please eat my cookie, said Zigzag, holding it under Stanley's nose. Squid laughed. Stanley pushed it away. Zigzag pushed him back. Don't push me. I didn't. Stanley got to his feet. 
He looked around. Mr. Pendansky was filling Zero's canteen. Zigzag pushed him again. I said, don't push me. Stanley took a step backwards, carefully avoiding Zero's hole. Zigzag kept after him. He shoved Stanley and said, Quit pushing! Lay off, said Armpit, as he, Magnet, and X-Ray joined them. Why should he? snapped X-Ray. Caveman's bigger. He could take care of himself. I don't want any trouble, Stanley said. Zigzag pushed him hard. Eat my cookie, he said. Stanley was glad to see Mr. Pendansky coming towards them, along with Zero. Hi, Mom, said Armpit. We are just fooling around. I saw what was going on, Mr. Pendansky said. He turned to Stanley. Go ahead, Stanley, he said. Hit him back. You're bigger. Stanley stared at Mr. Pendansky in astonishment. Teach the bully a lesson, said Mr. Pendansky. Zigzag hit Stanley on the shoulder with his open hand. Teach me a lesson, he challenged. Stanley made a feeble attempt to punch Zigzag. Then he felt a flurry of fists against his head and neck. Zigzag had hold of his collar with one hand and was hitting him with the other. The collar ripped and Stanley fell backwards onto the dirt. That's enough, Mr. Pendansky yelled. It wasn't enough for Zigzag. He jumped on top of Stanley. Stop, shouted Mr. Pendansky. The side of Stanley's face was pressed flat against the dirt. He tried to protect himself, but Zigzag's fist slammed off his arms and pounded his face into the ground. All he could do was wait for it to be over. Then suddenly, Zigzag was off of him. Stanley managed to look up, and he saw the Zero had his arm around Zigzag's long neck. Zigzag made a gagging sound as he desperately tried to pry Zero's arm off him. You're going to kill him, shouted Miss Pendansky. Zero kept squeezing. Armpit charged into him, freeing Zigzag from Zero's chokehold. The three boys fell to the ground in different directions. Mr. Pendansky fired his pistol into the air. I never understood that. I mean, as an adult, we have these cliches that we say, and the worst one we could say is probably, you have to fight back. Because if you tell a kid who doesn't know how to fight that they have to fight back and they swing, they don't know how to fight after that first adrenaline rush, and after that they get in their butts kicked. So Mr. Pendansky was like, you're bigger than him, you should confront him. Mr. Pendansky's standing right there, so Stanley thinks, well, if I swing on him, maybe he'll protect me if something goes wrong. So he takes a swing, and it's a feeble swing, and now Zigzag's on his helmet. And Mr. Pendansky's like, break it up, break it up, but he's not jumping in because he's a coward. And so, Stanley's there getting beat up while everybody watches, and the only person who jumps in is Zero. And Zero's like, I'm going to choke you to death. I'm going to choke you out to protect my friend. Mr. Pendansky has a gun. He doesn't even use it until it's too late. (sighs) The other counselors came running from the office. The tents are out on the lake. They had their guns drawn, but holstered them when they saw the trouble was over. The warden walked over from her cabin. There was a riot, Mr. Pendansky told her. 
Zero almost strangled Ricky. The warden looked at Zigzag, who was still stretching and massaging his neck. Then she turned her attention to Stanley, who was obviously in the worst condition. What happened to you? Nothing. It wasn't a riot. Ziggy was beating up the caveman, said Armpit. Then Zero started choking Zigzag, and I had to pull Zero off Zigzag. It was all over before Mom fired his gun. They just got a little hot, that's all, said X-Ray. You know how it is. In the sun all day, people get hot, right? But everything's cool now. I see, the warden said. She turned to Zigzag. What's the matter? Didn't you get a puppy for your birthday? Zig's just a little hot, said X-Ray. Out in the sun all day. You know how it is. The blood starts to boil. Is that what happened, Zigzag? asked the warden. Yeah, said Zigzag. Like X-Ray said, work so hard in the hot sun while Caveman just sits around doing nothing. My blood boiled. Excuse me? said the warden. Caveman digs his holes just like everyone else. Zigzag shrugged. Sometimes. Excuse me? Zero's been digging part of Caveman's hole every day, said Squid. The warden looked from Squid to Stanley to Zero. I'm teaching them to read and write, said Stanley. It's sort of a trade. The hole still gets dug, so what does it matter who digs it? Excuse me? said the warden. Isn't it more important for him to learn to read? Stanley asked. Doesn't that build character more than digging holes? That's his character, said the warden. What about your character? Stanley raised and lowered one shoulder. The warden turned to Zero. Well, Zero, what have you learned so far? Zero said nothing. Have you just been digging caveman's hole for nothing? The warden asked him. He likes to dig holes, said Mr. Pendansky. Tell me what you learned yesterday, said the warden. Surely you can remember that. Zero said nothing. Mr. Pendansky laughed. He picked up a shovel and said, You might as well try and teach this shovel to read. It's got more brains than Zero. See, that's how I know the Pendansky's a coward. Because cowards pick on little kids. Adult cowards pick on kids and try and just make them feel small because they're small, because they're cowards. It's like that song, The Wall by Pink Floyd. I'm sure y'all have heard of it. Maybe not you kids who are listening, but your parents, probably. It's on Spotify. Make them, make them turn it on. Part of the song, The Wall, talks about a teacher who berates his the kids in his class. But when he goes home at night, and this wasn't right, but this was back in like the 60s whenever the song was made. When he goes home at night, his fat and psychopathic wife would thrash him within inches of his life. The saying is that hurt people hurt people. That bullies bully because they get bullied. And I don't believe it, except for with adults. 
If an adult is bullying a kid, that is the lowest of the low for that situation. Don't get me wrong. There's other situations that involve adults where they're doing horrible things to children where they should just burn. And I'm not going to go into it because, you know, kid book. But if an adult is bullying a child, there is literally nothing that child can do to stand up for themselves. There is nowhere they can go for help. And that's just not right. The at sound said zero. The at sound repeated the warden. Well, then tell me what does C A T spell? Zero glanced around uneasily. Stanley knew he knew the answer. Zero just didn't like answering questions. Cat, Zero said. Mr. Pendansky clapped his hands. Bravo! Bravo! The boy's a genius! F-A-T, asked the warden. Zero thought for a moment. Stanley hadn't taught him the F sound yet. F. Zero whispered. F-fat. F-at. F-at. Fat. How about H-A-T? Asked the warden. Stanley hadn't taught him the H sound either. What kind of teacher are you, kid? Zero concentrated hard. Then said, chat. All the counselors laughed. He's a genius, all right, said Mr. Pendansky. He's so stupid, he doesn't even know he's stupid. Stanley didn't know why Mr. Pendansky seemed to have it in for zero. If Mr. Pendansky only thought about it, he'd realize it was very logical for zero to think the letter H made the CH sound. Okay, from now on, I don't want anyone digging anyone else's hole, said the warden. And no more reading lessons. I'm not digging another hole, said Zero. Good, said the warden. She turned to Stanley. You know why you're digging holes? Because it's good for you. It teaches you a lesson. If Zero digs your hole for you, then you're not learning your lesson, are you? I guess not, Stanley mumbled, although he knew they weren't digging just to learn a lesson. She was looking for something, something that belonged to kissing Kate Barlow. Why can't I dig my own hole, but still teach Zero to read, he asked. What's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that, the warden said. It leads to trouble. Zero almost killed Zigzag. It causes them stress, said Mr. Pendansky. I know you mean well, Stanley, but face it. Zero's too stupid to learn to read. That's what makes his blood boil, not the hot sun. I'm not digging another hole, said Zero. Mr. Pendansky handed him the shovel. Here, take it, Zero. It's all you'll ever be good for. Zero took the shovel. Then he swung it like a baseball bat. The metal blade smashed across Mr. Pendansky's face. 
His knees crumbled beneath him. He was unconscious before he hit the ground. The counselors all drew their guns. Zero held the shovel out in front of him, as if he were going to try and bat away the bullets. I hate digging holes, he said. Then he slowly backed away. Don't shoot him, said the warden. He can't go anywhere. The last thing we need is an investigation. Zero kept backing up, out past the cluster of holes the boys had been digging, then farther and farther out onto the lake. He's going to have to come back for water, the warden said. Stanley noticed Zero's canteen lying on the ground near his hole. A couple of the counselors helped Mr. Pendansky to his feet and into the truck. Stanley looked out towards Zero, but he had disappeared into the haze. The warden ordered the counselors to take turns guarding the shower room and rec room, all day and all night. They were not to let Zero drink any water. When he returned, he was to be brought directly to her. She examined her fingernails and said, It's almost time for me to paint my nails again. Before she left, she told the six remaining members of Group D that she still expected seven holes. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook I mean you can't just openly denigrate somebody just because they're smaller than you and then you gave them a weapon how dumb are you? how dumb are you? Lee Review on Podchaser uh, then copy and paste it on the Apple Podcasts. Then copy and paste it on the Good Pods. Become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Uh, go to buymeacoffee.com and help me buy books and movies at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. And if you're listening to this on Good Pods, I appreciate it. Leave five stars over there. And then donate to the tip jar. I really just can't stand it when people get bullied. As somebody who was bullied their whole life by family members, by people I thought were friends, by enemies. And given my countenance, it's not something I will ever, ever stand for. And maybe that's why I love books so much, because if a book a bunch of words written in a sequence can make me feel like this and it's not even real. Then that author is doing a tremendous job. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes.
you can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.